Y'all quieted down real quick. Look at that. Look at that. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, before I get into the message today, um, got some really cool things to share with you. I don't know if you noticed, but out in the vestibule area, um, this is that glass area before you get into It's the room before the lobby, if they understand that. We have these things called hope boxes, and um, our partner at East Albemarle, <clears throat> there is some needs for school supplies, so that's what we're, we're, we're receiving. So uh, here's what we need. We need some earbuds and dry erase markers. Those are the big needs at East Albemarle. So you can go to Ollie's and get some earbuds for like less than five bucks. And that's what, you know, when I was, when I was in school way back in the Stone Age, um, we needed pencils and pens and notebook paper and glue and uh, stuff like that, cattle prods. And um, now, 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 they need, now they need earbuds. Isn't that funny? I'm just getting old. But anyway, those are the big needs. So bring those in. We're going to get those. I hope that we can just stock East Armour Elementary full uh, before they get back in school. That's going to be a good thing. And I got a praise report to share with you. Uh, talk about God meeting needs, um, and those of you that are members and you call this home and all that kind of good stuff, you know that we've uh, had some family meetings and different things about, um, and this seems like so unsexy to talk about, but now that it's like the hottest days of the year, I think people care. We have huge HVAC systems here at our church that are uh, reaching the end of their life, and so we have a plan to replace them, and we were told that we couldn't find a unit for like 30-some weeks. That's where you go, ooh, no, yeah, oh, well, I've got a praise report. God's provided. We've got one that's going to, uh, our, our team has researched, and, and, and we, we got a quote from, from a mechanical company, and they said 30 weeks. Well, they came back to us and said, hey, we had one come available. We're going to have you a new one in the next two to three weeks. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Now we just have to pay for it. We got a plan to pay for it. But uh, we had a plan for like 30 weeks away, and so um, God provides. Uh, he does it over and over again, but I wanted to share that with you because that's such good news, and especially as we come out of the summer and go into fall and the winter, we're going to really be glad that we had some heat uh, come that time. And how many are grateful for the air conditioning today? Glory to the Lamb. Yeah, some of y'all get Pentecostal over the AC, and that's okay. Uh, we're in a series on the book of Acts called Relentless. Say Relentless. We're in a series in the book of Acts called Relentless, and the reason that it's called Relentless is we're looking at the last eight chapters of the book of Acts, and we're going through the stories of what the gospel went through in the church. The gospel, the, the, the message of Jesus is the main character in the book of Acts through the church. And over those last eight chapters, there are trials, and the apostle Paul is under arrest, and the church and the message seems to be politicized. And so we're looking at like how the spirit-empowered church lived. And I believe that there's some takeaways for our church today. I think if you look at what's happening in the book of Acts and you ask God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in us with the gospel? I think, I think that there's, I think there's some truth there. And so today we'll be in Acts chapter 23. We've got a Wednesday night Bible study that happens and um, right now on Wednesday nights. We also have uh, children's ministry and youth ministry happening, which is 
all all great and they they have a blast and we replace sheetrock and all that kind of stuff and um <laughs> but uh on wednesday nights uh with the bible study i'm getting into the stuff in the book of acts and the specific chapters that i don't have enough time to get to in the sermon so if you want to like get into the i call it nerd hour um <laughs> if you want to get down and deep into this stuff and just kind of have fun with scripture that's what we're doing there the Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Will you say that with me? The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Now replace the word you with us. Ready? The Holy Spirit is doing something in us that will live beyond us. This is the story in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is at work. And each week as we go through these chapters, I got the same key questions. What is God doing in that story? That's the main reason for the story, by the way, because of what God's doing. Who am I in that story? Where can I find my life? Where can I, where can I parallel and, 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 and see what God is doing in my story? How's my story a part of his story? Where do we as a church fit into the story of God? Everybody plays a role in the story of the church, the story of Jesus. Remember the promise in the very first book of Acts, but you will receive power, say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today, Acts 23. Here's the story. Let me give you a quick review. The Apostle Paul is in like Greece, Turkey, the northern part of the Mediterranean. And he has to make a trip down to Jerusalem because in Acts 19, he feels called by God to go to Jerusalem. And so he's leaving and saying goodbye to all these churches that he's been a part of and he's an apostle of. And we have this story of Paul going down. And all the way down through this trip, there's these prophecies and there's these stories where people are telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, they're going to get you. Don't go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. Don't go. One guy, a guy named Agabus, great name for a dog if you're getting a new dog. He took off Paul's belt from him and he, he, he bound his hands and his feet. And he said, whoever owns this belt, will be bound like this in Jerusalem. Like illustrated sermon time. And Paul's going to Jerusalem, and now he is in Jerusalem in chapter 22. A riot, a ruckus has started because people are upset with him. These, these, these Jewish factions are upset with him for what he's preaching and what he's saying. They're saying that he's preaching blasphemy. They're saying that he's preaching the wrong message. They're saying that, that Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, this is all blasphemous. And they, they have beat him. They, the Roman authorities, the local Roman guards, it would be like if the National Guard was like, military state police or something over just our local police and they were in town they grabbed Paul away from them and put him under arrest and Paul starts to defend himself and in chapter 22 we have Paul's defense but now here in chapter 23 what's happened is that Paul in defending himself has let them know that he's a Roman citizen and they can't torture him and beat him like they would normal people and actually, what, what's really funny is, like, Paul's nephew and some kids are part of this story. And the, the, the Roman legion's like, well, what do we do with this guy? Well, let's take him back to the Jewish court. And so we have Paul being taken back to the Jewish court with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are two different just factions of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
The Pharisees were like the ruling party, and they, they, they kind of had like a stranglehold on things. But the Sadducees, they were, you know how like in governments we have different parties? That's kind of like what's happening here. The Sadducees, the main thing that they believed was that there was no such thing as resurrection from the dead. There is no such thing as an after. Like there is no hope after death, and that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Preacher dad joke right there. That is a layered uh, bundle of just awesomeness for you. Let me start by reading the first 11 verses here where Paul is saying this in chapter 23. Paul surveyed the members of the council with a steady gaze and then said his peace. Friends, and these are people that are accusing him and beating him. He starts out with friends. I've lived a clear conscience before God my whole life up to this very moment. That set the chief priest Ananias off. He ordered his aides to slap Paul in the face. Paul shot back. God will slap you down. What a fake you are. You sit there and judge me by the law and then break the law by ordering me slapped around. Oh, this is getting good. This is some good stuff right here. I love how the message reads this because it's just like, a, it's, it's almost like a mob boss story kind of thing, like the Godfather. And he's like, slap him. He's like, God's going to slap you, you know. And he just comes back at him. The aides were scandalized. How dare you talk to God's chief priest like that? Paul acted surprised. <gasps> How was I to know he was the chief priest? He doesn't act like a chief priest. You're right. The scripture does say, don't speak abusively to the ruler of the people. Sorry. I don't know how to read that without just a a tinge of sarcasm that's in my DNA. (gasps) I didn't know he was the chief priest. (laughs) Sorry. Paul, knowing that some of the council, I don't know that he said it that way. That's just the way that I read it. Uh, Actually, what Paul was probably doing here was he was probably kind of like backing off of his anger or backing off of his uh, aggressiveness. And he was like, you know what? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we need to follow scripture. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm guessing Paul, because he wrote most of the Bible, I'm guessing Paul didn't have the same sinful, sarcastic tone that I read into it. Paul, knowing some of the council was made of Sadducees and others of Pharisees, this is the reason I told you what they believed, and how they hated each other, decided to exploit their antagonism. Friends, I'm a stalwart Pharisee from a long line of Pharisees. It's because of my Pharisee convictions, the hope and resurrection of the dead, that I've been hauled into this court. So Paul is like adding fuel to their fire, and he's exploiting the differences that they have. The moment he said this, the council split right down the middle. Pharisees and Sadducees going at each other in heated argument. And if you know anything about the Jewish faith, if you've ever been to synagogue, if you've ever been around a group of Orthodox Jewish people, one of the things that they love to do is to argue the scriptures. It's like a spiritual discipline. And it's not like you and me arguing the scriptures of who's right, who's wrong per se, and all that kind of. They argue the scriptures like ongoing. They've done it for thousands of years. And Paul takes this moment and he exploits this division within them. 
Sadducees have nothing to do with the resurrection of any, or angels or even a spirit. If they can't see it, they don't believe it. Pharisees believe it all. And so a huge and noisy quarrel broke out. Then some of the religion scholars on the Pharisee side shouted down the others, we don't find anything wrong with this man. And what if a spirit has spoken to him or maybe an angel? What if it turns out we're fighting against God? That was fuel on the fire. The quarrel flamed up and became so violent that the captain was afraid they would tear Paul apart, limb from limb. And he ordered the soldiers to get him out of there and escort him back to the safety of the barracks. That night, the master appeared to Paul. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to turn out for the best. You've been a good witness for me here in Jerusalem. Now you're going to be my witness in Rome. And what happens from this point forward is that they decide to take Paul to Caesarea, the capital, like Washington, D.C., to go on trial to be before the governor and the main supreme court of the land. The Romans are like, we can't do this locally. We've got to escalate it to our supreme court. And so they send legions of soldiers with Paul to Caesarea to go in front of the governor, Felix, and next Uh, Not next week, but the week after. We're going to talk about, and we're going to get into Acts 24, where they go into detail about that trial. And the religious people from Jerusalem hire a criminal law attorney to go with them. And Paul is defending himself alone. And I love how this particular chapter ends. Paul is sent to Caesarea, to Felix the governor. And Felix the governor knowing that he's a Roman citizen, all these things, what he does is he has Paul, let's not put him in prison, let's put him in Herod's chambers, the king of Israel. Felix put Paul in the king's official quarters in Washington, D.C. It would be like the president putting one of us in a government hotel that only dignitaries stayed in. Paul goes from the middle of this riot to the king's chambers. This chapter is filled with suspense, with trial, with murder vows. There's this whole faction of people in this Jewish Jewish court that said, we will not eat until Paul is dead. I'm going to bet that they broke that vow (laughs) because Paul doesn't die here. Incredible escort to a capital city, ends up in the king's chambers. It's amazing. This is also one of the chapters that we have in Acts that gets really specific about historical data and and when this actually happened in history. So Felix ruled as governor from uh, 52 to 59. And there's so much history here. But these first 11 verses that we wrote, uh, that we read, give us an even more behind the curtain look at what is happening with the gospel and the church and human authority. How do we apply and how do we look at this story and look at our lives as the church of Jesus in 2023 and find any comparison? Raise your hand if you're on trial with the governor. None of us are. Raise your hand if you've been brought before a religious court and people are rioting. Like, how do we take this story and understand the Spirit of God and how it moves in his church? Paul is under the scrutiny 
of three different judicial systems, the local Sanhedrin, the local Jewish religion people, the local Roman officials, and finally, the Roman governor of that whole region. He is a man that is in trouble, and he keeps getting passed off from one judge to another judge. And if you think about it, it's very similar to what was happening with Jesus when he was arrested. He was before the Jewish Sanhedrin, then he was sent to Pilate, the governor. Then he was sent to Herod, the king. Then he was sent back to Pilate. They just keep passing him off. And throughout the whole process, what is Paul doing? How is he conducting himself? How is he staying sane? Paul has to keep in mind why he is under arrest in the first place. Why he's on trial. Why he's in custody. Why he is constantly defending himself. And it's because of the gospel that he preaches. And if any of you have ever received a call by God before... And you felt that that was going well. And then all of a sudden, there started being some accusations. I want to show you here in Acts that you're not alone. Because the gospel of Jesus, we think that Paul would be much better served in the kingdom of God. If he was left unencumbered and he just kept planting churches until he died. And that is not what happens. God tells Paul to go to Jerusalem. Because there's a reason. And Paul, under arrest, under trial, it's clear in this particular passage that in every trial, he keeps his allegiance to God. He keeps his faith and his feet planted in the gospel of Jesus. Whether he's in front of the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, whether he's in front of the local Roman soldiers, or in the future, whether he's in front of Felix, eventually Festus, eventually Caesar. Paul stays planted to the master, the Lord Jesus, and it presents to us a picture of a spirit-filled life, a spirit-filled church showing in detail an answer to a very important question that you will face if you decide to follow Jesus or if you follow Jesus. And here's the question. How do followers of Jesus live under God in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward God? Because that's what's happening in all of these final eight chapters in the book of Acts. How do followers of Jesus live under God in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward God? Well, Nate, what do you mean? I was watching the ESPYs and every single athlete immediately thanked God. Nate, what do you mean? We pray before the inauguration. Nate, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. We live in a country. We live in a time. We live in a place where you can do you, but, but, but if you doing you has any effect on the people around you, get ready, get ready, because you can be canceled. You, you can be squashed. You can be minimized. If you stand up for your convictions, if you put into place things in your life that you see are honoring to God, and someone thinks that that is, oh, there, there are so many opinions. I don't know if you've noticed. So I I grew up loving our country. I still do. I'm amazed with all the freedoms we have. I grew up going to the Oakboro, 
Fourth of July parade or the Faith Fourth of July parade. We, we kind of switched them out. I grew up going to Myrtle Beach in the summer. I grew, I grew up here in Albemarle. I grew up going to the swimming pool at Rock Creek Park. Sometimes sneaking in when I didn't have a dollar. It cost a dollar back in those days. Way back in, in the last millennium was when I went. I grew up loving, and I still do love America, and I have to say with everything in me, I honor the people who fought and served for our country. The brave women and men who have given their lives, given their service. It's something we should never, ever take for granted. The reality that we get to live, we get to be in a place where even what I'm doing now, preaching the gospel of Jesus, the freedom to do that. There are countries on this planet, if I go to Burma, I will be targeted by militants for preaching this word. I have a freedom. We have a freedom to gather today and do something. And we, I ask you this all the time, why are we here today, gang? To worship the Lord. We have the freedom to do that. Never, ever take that for granted. There are many places where you have to, to, to worship God in private because you will be targeted. And with everything in me, I'm thankful to God for this country that I live in. But I also want to say, and I probably won't get any amens on this because nobody wants to get tackled in the parking lot. But I will also say America is not the promised land. America is not God's favorite. There are many things I am grateful for, but there are many things that I lament over and I am sad about in our country. School shootings. Ongoing racial division. Divided political loyalties to the extent of violence. The inability to locate truth in our society. Homelessness. Veterans who are homeless, mental illness, inflation. No, there are many things in this country that I love that are not the kingdom of God. And it's okay, I get it. We, we hear that and, and we, some of you amend it probably because I challenge you. <laughs> But I get it. We don't want to bring disloyalty or we don't want to bring shame or someone to question whether we love our country or not. But I need to say this as a pastor. When we see what Paul is going through here in Acts 24, Paul's allegiance wasn't to an empire or even to his own clan, the Jews. It was to God. And we need to look at this story and take a hard look at ourselves. Because if you're brought up like Paul in that way, who will you be, be revealed to be when you get squeezed? And it's an incredibly arrogant, small-minded, self-centered thing to think that God's world revolves around us and our country, okay? God's world is so much bigger than ours. And we're not the center of the universe. For God so loved the... Say it again. Louder for the people in the back. 
God so loved the world that he gave his son. His one and only son. And I want to draw a very clear connection between what is happening with Paul in the gospel and what is happening with you in the gospel. Paul has these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we are Christ's representatives. God uses us, his church. He's writing to a church. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. That word for representatives is actually a political word in the Greek, and it's the same word that we get our root for ambassador from. So you could read this, and some of the translations that you read the Bible and may say this, we are God's ambassadors. The highest-ranking diplomat sent from one nation to another that represents the king or the president or the person in charge. The U.S. Embassy in whatever country, in England, in Japan, in Mexico, the U.S. Embassy is actually considered sovereign soil. So when you walk onto an American embassy in another country, it's like you're walking on American soil because the ambassador is at the embassy. And this is who Paul represents. This is who he's saying the church represents. He's saying that we pledge allegiance above all else to this God. And the church of Jesus, us, the men and women who are in the church of Jesus, we are the embassy, we are the ambassadors of God. We represent the very soil of his kingdom. This is who we are, the spirit-filled church. And I can't say it any louder, the spirit-filled church represents Jesus. We represent Jesus. We live in the USA, but if we follow Jesus, we're actually from the place that Jesus is from. You're an ambassador. Say it with me. I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. Sent by God. Say it with me. Sent by God. From heaven to earth. I'm an ambassador. Sent by God. From heaven to earth. And this is good news. You were not elected and voted into this position. You were, you were not told that this is now your job and you're getting a paycheck for it. You were chosen and called by God. Amen. This is good news. Paul, the Apostle John says this, Jesus' words in chapter 15. You didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. That's good news. He chose you. Look all around the room. The people you see are chosen by God, as are you. At the age of 21, I was engaged to a person who uh, is not my wife today, thank God. Um, I think that person would say the same thing. I was engaged to a person, and I found out that this person was cheating on me and didn't want to marry me anymore. I cried my eyes out. I was working that summer as a limo, or that, that winter as a, win, as a limo driver. 
I'd be going down the road with people in the back of the limo crying and drying up and wiping my face off before I got them out of the limo. I thought my life was over. I thought my ministry was a fantasy because I I wasn't going to be married. I thought nobody would love me. I was grieving. And in the middle of all that, I, I realized this is, I don't know that I realized it to this extent then. But in hindsight, I can clearly see this is the very soil where God cultivates and does discipleship. In broken up, hard, tear-stained grounds. This is the very place where the kingdom of God begins to grow in me again. And I hear the words of Jesus, you didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. This is good news. You may be at the lowest spot in your life. You may be jobless, you may be grieving, you may be going through treatments again, you may be in custody. I want you to know Jesus chose you. You are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. You are chosen, you are equipped, you're called, you're anointed, you are filled with God's spirit. You represent Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of the faith. In this world where there are so many things going wrong. This is not public opinion. This is divine direction to you. You're not normal. You're you're not ordinary. God in you is way more powerful than a vote you make every four years. God in you is more powerful than a vote you will ever make. You have his Holy Spirit. You are more powerful than the dark that you see because God is in you. But Nate, it's so dark. The school shootings, the war in Ukraine, people are hurting, there's sickness. Schools need more money than they have. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is doing. The kingdom of God, the soil of the kingdom of God is invading the dark places. The missionaries who are on the ground in the Ukraine. The hope boxes out there that are bringing simple supplies to the teachers in our community. You are the soil and the working out of the kingdom of God in your neighborhood. The missionaries that we support because of your giving. Who are reaching the uttermost parts of the earth in the war-torn areas. And the drought-filled areas. You are with them through that support. Here's something you need to remember. The more dark it is, the all more powerful the light will be. How, you, you may think it is so dark and it's so thick. Let me tell you something. A match being lit in thick darkness is seen by everybody. And Paul is the spark in this chapter. He's about to be tortured one minute, and the next minute, he is residing in the king's chambers. Hello. Who owns the king's chambers? Is it Rome, or is it the king of kings? Light up the dark. Here's how Peter says it in 1 Peter 2. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood, so that your actions refute their prejudices. Let's just spend a few seconds with that. It's in the middle of that paragraph there. 
Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute the prejudices. That is applicable, gang. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. You want to know how to reach the lost? You want to know how to be a witness for Jesus? Although it's well-meaning and well-intended, I don't know that the best strategy is handing out tracts and getting on a bullhorn and telling everybody they're going to hell. But if we follow the Apostle Peter's thing that he's saying, he's saying, you know what, live an example life so that your actions are the opposite of the prejudices. Spirit-filled churches light up the dark. They don't run from it. They stand tall and they stand strong in the face of trial. Because we don't represent ourselves. Who do we represent? Jesus himself. Live in such a way to refute the prejudices that you hear about. And no matter who is elected, God's still in charge. No matter what trial you face, God is more powerful. No matter what darkness is filling the space up faster and faster, the light of God right-sizes that darkness really quick. You may be going through hell. I want you to know that the God of heaven, the God who makes dead things live, he shows us truth that death is not death if there's resurrection on the other end. It's not final. It's not the end. Paul is ready to die. He said it in in Acts 21 and 22. He's ready to die for the gospel. Why? Because he serves the God who makes dead things live. Because death is not, does it hurt? Is it painful? Yes. Does it stink? And do we just want to avoid pain? Yes. Even Jesus, when he prayed, said, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me. I don't want to drink from it. But the only thing that will keep us strong in our faith and connected to this almighty God, the only thing that will do it is an open heart to him, an allegiance to him, a true, further more than belief, but a faith, a a, a, a surety in knowing that, you know what, it may be dark right now, but there is a light. There is a light that lights up the dark, and it's in me through this spirit. It's in me. I am walking through the darkest place of my life right now, but there is a light. I know there's a light. And every time I'm around the people of Jesus, I see the light again. I feel the light again. Man, don't you just love gathering with people and worshiping God? It shows the light. We need to be reminded of the light again and again and again and again because the light is never extinguished. But it feels cold and it feels dark. Yeah, I know. But we are the soil of the kingdom of God on this earth. We are his kingdom come. That's why we care about the hurting in our community and in our neighborhoods. Because God, God cares. I want to say a couple of prayers over you, if that's okay, before we end. And our band is going to come and give me some fantastic mood music while we pray. Because that's what we do in churches. We create the mood music, and it just feels good. Because music kind of like pricks our emotions. It does. And it's helpful. Sometimes, like I heard earlier, when we don't know what to say or pray, we can just sing. That's beautiful. I want to pray some specific things over you. 
just in these next few moments. I want to, I want to pray. Um, I want to pray over your allegiance to God. I want to pray over your devotion and your faith. I want to pray that it will be strengthened. I want to pray that if you stand in a place of accusation, if you stand in a place of tension and trial and suffering, that the light of this Jesus becomes more bright than anything else that you see. That the darkness can't snuff that out in your life. I want to pray for you to keep in your heart this truth that God chose you. I thought I made a decision of home. Yeah, you did. After he chose you. Salvation doesn't start with you. It's always started with him. I want to pray that you will remember who you represent in this earth, in this neighborhood, in this county. You represent Jesus Christ. And I want to pray and increase to your faith. Hey, will you stand with me as we say these prayers before we dismiss today? If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to put out your hands like this in front of you with palms facing upward. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to make like an altar around you this place of sacrifice and submission and worship. And I want to pray this over you, followers of Jesus. Step in and embrace the higher calling of being an ambassador. The calling that Paul, that gives Paul that strength to go toe-to-toe with the authorities. To last, to stand, to be faithful. I pray that you stay faithful to Jesus. Because he is who you represent, not somebody else. Not another party or another president or another king. Your representation is to Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to see you. And to see ourselves as you really are and as we really are. To be reminded that we are ambassadors. And there's some of us here today, you might say, you know what, Nate, I'm not really a religious person. I certainly wouldn't classify myself as being representative of Jesus But there's something happening inside right now, and you know it. It it may be something that you felt for quite a while, but there's something that is drawing you toward this God who chose you. What is that? I want you to know that's the loving kindness of a God who loves you. The stirring that you feel and the draw that you feel is the love of a God who chose you. The Bible says that God's spirit draws men, draws women to himself. That thing that you feel is God's grace and mercy drawing you to him. And you know what? You may not be a religious person. I don't I don't ever really hear us being commanded to be religious people in scripture. What what I see in scripture is a bunch of people started following this Jesus and everything in their lives changed and Paul still went to prison still was under custody still went through the ringer 
But he did it through the faith that he had in Jesus. He did it with the power of this Holy Spirit within him. And today you might be like, Nate, I'm not a religious person, but things, things between me and Jesus...